Welcome to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Piper, America's Land Auctioneer. Thank you for joining us today. We certainly appreciate everybody being with us today in your favorite radio station. Uh, by chance, if you want to catch some of our past shows or if you want to listen to this show again, you can go to our website at pipers.com and you can listen to our podcasts on Apple or Spotify if you'd like. But again, all you have to do is go to pipers.com. In studio today, Steve Link, the broker at Pipers Auction and Realty. Uh, Steve covers the entire northern tier for Pipers, Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Minnesota. Steve, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. It's busy and I love it. Yep. Glad you're here today. Appreciate you being in studio. And then also with us today is Bob Pfeiffer. Bob runs the Grant Forks office in the northern tier of North Dakota and Minnesota for Pfeiffer's. And he also manages the real estate operations in the state of Wisconsin and Arizona for Pfeiffer's. How are you doing today, Bob? Doing great, Kevin. Yep. Good. Thank good to you. Be here. Yep. Appreciate it. I'm glad all of you guys could be here today to join me today. We got a lot of things we want to cover. Uh, got got a good trio in here today. The three of us are going to uh, talk about recent farmland auctions and farmland real estate sales that Pfeiffer's has had over the course of the last month. And we're going to go over some upcoming auctions as well. Uh, but mostly we want to kind of dive into the dynamics of what's taken place in, in farmland throughout our region today. But before we do that, I just want to touch on a couple of things. I think most of you know this is not a political show. It's not a political talk show by any means. Uh, uh, we obviously would like to just touch on a couple of things today, though. Uh, most of it having to do with the Russian invasion of Ukraine. We want to touch on that a little bit because we do get a lot of questions from all people from all facets of life wanting to know how the the war in Ukraine is affecting American agriculture. And, you know, when you think about it, you know, Russia imported only between 1.2 and $1.6 billion dollars of U.S. agricultural products uh, this past year. And basically, that's kind of been the annual range of, of imports. And uh, over the course of the last four or five years since Russia invaded Crimea during the Obama administration, uh, those imports actually uh, fell to two to $300 million. And that's kind of been the norm over the last five, four or five years. But one of the big things that a lot of people are concerned about is the amount of fertilizer that is produced in Russia and how that will affect input costs in the United States. And I had some uh, farmers in North Dakota, Minnesota in my office recently, and Bob and Steve, I'm sure you've been talking to them too, that there is a lot of concern about continued increase in fertilizer costs, gasoline, and those types of things, diesel fuel, whatever. Uh, so we're seeing huge input costs along with the higher commodity price. So the top end is growing. Uh, which is good, but also the 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 other part of the equation with the input costs certainly is is going to have some sort of a ripple effect throughout U.S. sectors in the near and long-term future. And also, and, and agriculture is not going to be immune from that. It certainly isn't going to be any discrimination over which industry is going to get hit with that. Uh, there, are, there has been a lot of studies recently. Uh, Texas A&M has done quite a few studies. Uh, in fact, David Anderson uh, an economist, uh, he said that uh, what, one thing that this type of conflict does, it creates a factor of chaos and that the evasion may not directly 
uh, impact U.S. supply chains, but it's likely to disrupt specific sectors and commodities. And we're starting to already see that a little bit, a little bit more volatility. And Steve, I know you've been talking to some farmers and ranchers recently, and but certainly seems to be a lot of concern out there right now, not necessarily about the commodity prices, but more focus uh, probably than we've ever seen on input costs. Right. And, you know, and, and USDA just came out with their planting intentions this year. And I believe it's the first time that soybeans is it, the soybean acres out are they're predicting more soybean acres than corn acres. And there was one other time where that was predicted and it ended up being more corn acres and soybeans. But this year they're talking about more soybeans. And I, and I really think that, that the, that the cost, the input cost of corn versus soybeans is one of the factors that people are looking at going, man, either I, either I, I don't want to afford the fertilizer or, or I can't get my hands on it. And so let's plant soybeans. It's a, it's a, it's a really good crop in our region. It's, it's, it's maybe a little bit more easily planted, a little less input costs. And, and so, and the, and the, and the soybean prices are really good. And so I'm watching that. I'm watching what it's going to take for the corn side of it, because there's a lot of demand for corn. And so they need those acres planted. I'm, I'm wondering how high the price is going to go to flip people back from planting soybeans to corn. And, uh, it's, it's really intriguing. You know, it's interesting that you would bring that up because I was talking to, uh, I actually was talking to Randy Melvin recently over in Buffalo and he had done some analysis and he was reading some work that NDSU had done. And, and, you know, even with the huge price of increase in wheat now recently around $10 or whatever it might be, it still almost pencils out more so to have corn, uh, depending on what your yield is, of course, corn more so than, than wheat. So again, uh, a lot of different factors that come into play there, but you know, one thing that could further complicate the U.S. fertilizer and supply prices, obviously, are all these sanctions that are taking place right now. And I know that, that some of the economists have noted that the major fertilizer product component uh, does come from, you know, one or two Russian-based companies. So that could have an impact, like you referenced, Steve, you know, corn, obviously, a lot more fertilizer than you're going to probably use on any of the other more traditional crops. Yeah, um, you know, and... and Fertilizer and availability for fertilizer and and the ease of it. Do you have the storage for corn? You know, corn will yield 100, 200 bushels an acre up in this region. And so you need the storage. You need the, the, the capability of, of either on-farm storage where soybeans, you know, where you historically get 35, 40, 45, 50 bushels an acre. You know, that's a little bit easier to manage. And so... That whole that whole dynamic of of input costs and and managing it after you plant it and and such and and then wheat up here. What a lot of people don't realize is is wheat is used in this region as a uh, the year before you're going to plant sugar beets, right? Because you can harvest it early. You can get you can you can do your drainage on that ground and and so wheat isn't hasn't always been a profitable crop but they followed up with a very profitable crop of soybean or of of sugar beets like they have uh, and sugar beets have been very profitable for for growers in, in in the past and so um you know i don't know if they can get away from planting wheat and now in this environment you can make a lot of money on wheat as well yeah there's certainly a lot of dynamics when it comes to all that and you know obviously uh, some farmers that were in my office here just recently in the last couple of days, obviously already doing some contracting and uh, a lot of people kind of just trying to lock in some prices right now, hopefully some profit here too. But uh, boy, in the rear view mirror the, and, and looking forward to a lot of concern right now on these input costs. Uh, Bob Pfeiffer is with us today too, runs the state of Wisconsin for Pfeiffer's in Arizona. Um, you know, Bob, uh, 
interestingly, you've been doing a lot of work in Arizona lately too. I've noticed, uh, obviously you're selling farms and ranches up here in North Dakota and Minnesota and Wisconsin, but, uh, you know, the, the real estate market in the, in the larger cities, you know, particularly where you live in the greater Phoenix area, Phoenix, Scottsdale, Gold Canyon, that area, uh, the, the rising in, increase in, uh, interest rates certainly hasn't had much of a negative effect on home values in, uh, in the greater Phoenix area, has it? No, um, basically, uh, you know, a lot of the buyers, Kevin, are coming from California and Oregon and, you know, places like that. Um, they're selling their, their homes there for, you know, quite a bit more than what they're going to buy in Phoenix. So they're paying cash. So interest, interest rates, um, really isn't affecting, um, a lot of the values in the, in the Phoenix area right now. So what are you anticipating, you know, now as the year unfolds here, Bob, and I know we're getting a little off the egg subject, but you know, we got a lot of people, a lot of our clients obviously, you know, have homes in Arizona or Florida or whatever, but you know, as the year unfolds now and it looks like there's going to be, you know, another three, four rate increases, do you think the, the market in larger cities now, particularly outside of California and outside of New York. So Cities like like in Arizona, Phoenix, uh, Mesa, Scottsdale, Gold Canyon, uh, Tucson, wherever you might be, or even in Florida, you think we're going to continue to see an increase in people moving to those areas and uh, and the home values are going to keep going up? Yeah, in fact, uh, it might the interest might push uh, interest rate might push the uh, the buyers from California and, and uh, like I said, Washington, the state of Washington, and places like that to want to move to Phoenix, Phoenix area, cause they can buy a, you know, a, a lot more home for, um, for the money basically. And so kind of offsets that interest and, you know, Phoenix is hot right now and there's some other smaller community communities within Arizona that a lot of people are moving to. And, and like I said, they can get a lot more house for, for the money. And so, um, I don't, I don't see anything happening. Maybe, maybe next year, um, you know, beginning of, you know, December, January of 2023, maybe slowing down a little bit. You know, the, the rapid rise, I think of the home costs in Arizona and Florida has caught a lot of people off, did catch a lot of people off guard over the course of the last year. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the last big boom, Bob, that they had in Arizona, put your house on the market for 400,000 in the morning and in the afternoon it was selling for 500,000. What weren't those crazy times? Yeah, it, it was crazy. Um, it was so it was getting so bad that uh, we and there's people that put up posts for um, realtors for to put a hang up their signs, and there's people following those those uh, those people putting up posts just to you know and trying to make offers before it even came on the market. So I mean that's how crazy it was. Um, as soon as you put up a sign, it was sold like within a couple hours actually. Yeah, that that's uh, pretty crazy when you think about it. Really, you know, we don't see that so much on the farmland side. You know, we see it a little bit where you know in this market, it's a pretty hot market right now, and we're going to be talking about that a little bit when we come back from our break. Because Steve Link and Bob Pfeiffer and I are going to go through some of those recent land transaction folks. You're listening to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer, America's Land Auctioneer. Our show is sponsored by Pfeiffer's Auction and Realty and Pfeiffer's Land Management. You can get a hold of all of our friends over at Pfeiffer's at 877-700-4099, or you can email them at info at Pfeiffer's.com. Get a hold of their land and farm equipment auctioneers or their real estate agents or their farmland managers. Nobody does it better than the team at Pfeiffer's. 
Folks, you're listening to America's Land Auctioneer. We'll be right back after this break. $1,000 bid, $2,000 wear, $1,750 here now, too. Sold your way for $1,750. Welcome back to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Piper, America's Land Auctioneer. Again, I want to thank all of you for joining us here today. Just a reminder, if you want to re-listen to the show, you can go to pipers.com and get into the page that has our podcast, the one you're listening to today, or any of our previous 59 podcasts. And you can listen to those on Spotify or Apple at your convenience, whenever it works best for you. In studio today, Steve Link, the broker at Pfeiffer's Auction and Realty and Pfeiffer's Land Management, and Bob Pfeiffer, the regional manager for Pfeiffer's out of Grand Forks, and he also oversees Pfeiffer's operation in Wisconsin and Arizona. And also joining us today, Lynn Paulson, Senior Vice President of Agriculture Development at Bell Bank in uh, the Bell Bank system uh, throughout the country. How are you doing today, Lynn? Doing well, thank you. Good. Appreciate you stopping by today. It's always great to have Lynn Paulson, uh, a veteran in the, in the, uh, the banking and finance world. Good to have him in here. And I do promise you folks, like we said earlier, we are going to talk about some of our past land auctions and real estate transactions that we've had over the course of just the last seven to 10 days. We're going to highlight some of those, but with Lynn coming in studio, I do want to take a little bit of time in this segment and talk a little bit about more of what's going on uh, in the war uh, or the invasion, I call it a war of uh, Russia uh, in, into Ukraine and what's taking place over there and the ripple effect that it is having on many different sectors in America, uh, including American agriculture. And uh, Lynn, we're starting to already see some signs of that uh, invasion of that war having some effects here in American agriculture, aren't we? I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, as much as anything, it, it's the the uncertainty, you know, really kind of figuring out what's going on, what's happening, what's true, what's not true, what's getting planted, what's getting exported and things like that. So, you know, that's why, and you've got a lot of outside money in the, in the, the funds right now, and there's a lot of speculation going on, but it is certainly uncertainty and, and, you know, the market to some extent, especially those that are speculators love uncertainty. You know, it's interesting, uh, you know, reading a little bit from uh, Texas A&M and their economy, the economists over there are saying that, you know, Ukraine and Russia together are expected to account for about 30% of global wheat exports in this year, in 2022. Obviously, I suppose, Lynn, really, there is a big question mark whether or not they can even plant a crop in Ukraine. Obviously, they are getting to that point, but uh, what happens under this scenario if Ukraine cannot plant a crop? Well, how will that affect wheat prices, not only the U.S., but throughout the world? You know, it's going to be an interesting time. You know, what, what I'm hearing from some of our producers that have got connections over in Ukraine is they're actually getting the crop planted more than you would, you would think. Um, in a lot of those places, they've got fuel, they've got seed, they've got things like that. So a lot of the crop, and there's a lot more spring wheat actually being planted right now because of input costs. But I think the challenge is going to be, you know, if they get a crop, can they get it exported out? You know, all the infrastructure has been, been harmed. The, the ports have been bombed. The, the railroads have been bombed, all those types of things. So even if they get a crop and you know, what I'm told is the Russians are actually targeting some of the grain storage facilities and, and things like that. So, um, you know, I, I think this, this opportunity or however you want to look at it is going to be here for, for, for years to come, because even if they get the crop, uh, planted and, and maybe even harvested, quite frankly, um, they're going to have a tough time getting it to where it needs to go. But, as you said, Kevin, with 30% of the, of the, the, the wheat and I think like 20% of the corn coming out of there, um, it's going to have a dramatic effect on, on, on the world export market and kind of brings to mind back in, you know, a decade or two about the Arab Spring when they kind of ran out of, 
how to eat and, and, you know, hungry people, what they do. And, you know, some of these countries that it's going to impact the most are those that can least afford it. Yeah. And, and that's the sad part about it. Of course, you know, uh, obviously, you know, Russia is trying to control Crimea. Uh, they already have most of that portion and everything east of there to the black in the Black Sea uh, pretty much under control. But now, like you said, if they're attacking grain storage facilities and the ports, uh, once they go west over to uh, Odessa, uh, if they control that portion of it, it is certainly going to hurt a cripple basically anything that's going to ever come out of Ukraine in the, in the near future, don't you think? Oh, I, I don't think there's any, any doubt about it. And, you know, we kind of forget about how important Ukraine is. I mean, we, we kind of know we've got local businesses or area businesses that got exposure over there. And when you talk to them and really kind of get a sense on what's, what, what's going on over there, it is, it's, it's rather fascinating, you know, what's happening and how they're trying to, you know, do some of this farming and, and planting around, you know, uh, bombed out Russian tanks and, 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 and things like that and, and mining roads, whatever, but they are really set on getting that crop planted, uh, whether or not supply chain issues catch up with them and they run out of certain things to, to get that crop in. But it is going to, you know, we've gone from just in time delivery on just about everything. And we, we kind of forget how, how, how fragile this world supply is and, and what one major black swan event will do, um, to, uh, to disrupt the, the supply demand. And, and, uh, you know, opportunity in the short run, probably, uh, for some producers in, in, in the States and things like that. But uh, um, we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, again, without uh, naming any companies or anything, uh, and I have this from a very, very reliable source, because North Dakota has a lot of, like you said, Len, business people that have actual businesses in Russia, in Russia and in Ukraine. Uh, but I was I was visiting with a reliable source, source recently where uh, one of, one of North Dakota's companies over there, uh, they were affected by the War Powers Act and the Ukrainian government went in and took some semis and some other vehicles from one of the lots of one of our North Dakota companies that are over there. And basically, there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, it's confiscated. Here's your receipt. We're out of here. We're taking this equipment. And But what do you do in the middle of a war? I mean, you really, uh, you you almost have to play the game, I guess. If you're the business person, you can't there's nothing you can do to, to fight that or to oppose that. Well, here's one better. I mean, I, I know that there was some uh, farm equipment uh, in a dealership over there that disappeared, and actually the Russians took it, and they, they finally, you know, they've got a chip where they can locate the, the equipment. It was in Chechnya and Russia, Russia. The Russians actually came in and sold the farm equipment, took it across to their side and, you know, things like that. So it's, uh, you know, it's it's a wild, wild west in Eastern Europe, I guess. So <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, hopefully, hopefully it all ends pretty soon, and hopefully we're not going to have to, uh, deal with that. But, you know, like a lot of people are saying, it's going to have a ripple effect for, for like, you know, for the near term here anywhere, not only, not only in the U S but throughout most of Europe and most likely throughout the entire world. But, but again, thanks for coming in, Lynn. I know I want I want to get your take on the Ukrainian uh, situation with Russia uh, before we moved on to other things. We've got Bob Pfeiffer in here running Pfeiffer's uh, Grand Forks office and uh, the Northern tier in Minnesota and North Dakota also Wisconsin, and uh, also the state of Arizona. Talk a little bit about uh, some of the dynamics of the Arizona market recently with Bob on our first segment here, and uh, we're going to get his take here also on uh, the the farmland activity that's taking place up in the northern part of North Dakota and Minnesota. Bob, you've had quite a bit of activity up there. Yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> we've had a lot of interest, and uh, we got buyers calling us on a daily basis looking for either to rent or buy or just get some uh, some more land to uh, to to raise some crops with, and uh, and uh, we got a lot of buy, uh, sellers actually on the fence right now, thinking about selling, and 
And uh, so we got a lot of stuff coming up um, in uh, Grand Forks County and uh, McHenry County out by Minot. I have 900 some acres out there. Um, I just booked one in by Valley City. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's going pretty good, Kevin, as far as uh, getting getting some of these land sales. Yeah, and most of the farmers that are calling, I would assume that the same ones that are calling you, Bob, is that you know they really want that farmland they buy now to be available so they can plant a crop this year because of the situation we're in with commodity prices. I'm sure that's probably the first question you get. Yeah, and and if there's a lease on it for this year, they're asking if they can maybe even get out of that lease and. And uh, they really want to get in there and produce some uh, some crops. Yeah, you you know, I, when I look at the calendar that uh, Pfeiffer's has, obviously you've got quite a few sales coming up in your area. Uh, the Wisconsin market has been really hot. Obviously, corn and soybeans and uh, in that state have been obviously a very, very good crop over the course of the last couple of years. So it's going to be interesting to see now over the course of the next two or three weeks, Bob, we'll have to try and get you back on the show here to see how some of those sales go in, in the latter part of April uh, up, in, up in that area. Folks, you're listening to America's Land Auctioneer. Lynn Paulson with Bell Bank is with us here today, and he's going to be with us in the final two segments. We're going to get his take on interest rates and the Federal Reserve strategy uh, to see where we can hopefully, no, none of us have a crystal ball, but hopefully get a little insight from Lynn as to where he sees this all going. And Steve Link is here. Uh, the broker for Pfeiffer's Auction and Realty and Pfeiffer's Land Management. Folks, you're listening to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer, America's Land Auctioneer. I want to f- thank all of our friends over at Pfeiffer's Auction and Realty and Pfeiffer's Land Management for sponsoring our show every week. You can get a hold of them at info at Pfeiffer's.com. That's a simple email, info at Pfeiffer's.com, or call them 877-700-4099. You can get a hold of their farm equipment or their land auctioneers, their farm real estate agents, or their farmland managers. Nobody does it better. Folks, you're listening to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer, America's Land Auctioneer. Got some great guests in studio today. Lynn Paulson at Bell Banks out of Fargo, North Dakota. Bob Pfeiffer with Pfeiffer's Auction Realty out of Grand Forks, North Dakota, covering uh, Minnesota and North Dakota Northern Tier and all of Wisconsin and Arizona. Steve Link, the broker at Pfeiffer's Auction Realty for Montana, North and South Dakota and Minnesota. So appreciate all three of you gentlemen being on board with us today. Steve, we recently at Pfeiffer's had some pretty interesting land auctions. Of course, uh, you know, if you look at, you know, where the farmland market has been, just to kind of remind everybody, going back to when it peaked in late 14, 2015, that's when farmland values peaked in this region, and then they dropped over the course of the next couple of years, about 20%, but still really kind of double bottoms there, hitting, you know, basically some some uh, continued highs for, for many, many years. But uh, in 2021, starting about May or June, we saw this accelerated increase in farmland values throughout the region. And a lot of us were anticipating that we would see that somewhat tempered going into 2022, but recent sales indicate otherwise. Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, last year we talked about it on previous shows that we figured that land prices in North Dakota on average maybe went up 28%. And we think 20% of that happened in the last quarter of this last year. And, and we sat here and tried to make our predictions for 2022 and we're like, guy, well, we really think it might be leveling off and, and we're, we're, we're maybe at the top and, and we're going to have some sales up and down from the, from the top here, but it has 
really shocked myself anyways on how high these land prices are. Yeah, this, the, these recent sales, um, a section of land in Northern Richland County, just south of Fargo, 35 miles, that $8,200 an acre for that, for, for a section of land. And then we had two quarters that, uh, near a little town of Leonard, North Dakota, Southwest Cass, Cass County or cent, central Cass County, south of Castleton. And that hit 9,300 an acre, um, really top quality farmland. I can't argue with, uh, with the logic of purchasing it. Cause if you're going to buy, buy good land, if you're going to spend that much buy good land, and this was really good top notch land, both of those sales. And so, um, you know, we had great turnout. We had, uh, you know, anywhere from 30 to, to, to 50 people in the room for, for, for the bidding. And then we had that many more online bidding and participating and watching. Um, and so the, the, the bidding was, was very active. Um, the buyers on it, um, basically you can consider them all producers. Um, one of the, one of the buyers was, uh, he doesn't produce himself, but his family does. And so, um, he, he, he was the buyer on it, but most of them are producers, but the investors are really, really looking at, at, at this market and wanting to buy land and they're, they're active in it and they didn't come out on top in those last recent sales, but they're, they're, they're participating. You know, one of the most notable components of the sale that you talked to referenced in Leonard, North Dakota, that one in June of 21 appraised at $5,600 an acre. So nine months ago, it appraises at $5,600 an acre and it sells for $9,300 an acre nine months later. Yeah, I know. And that, and, and that's a great point. And, and that I'm glad Lynn is in here because now he's got to try and formulate that into a loan and figure out, okay, what do we value that today? And how much are we going to borrow on that? And I don't know how those conversations are going to work out, but I bet those are interesting in your world, right, Lynn? Well, they, they, they really are. And, and, uh, you know, some of these land sales, you know, the problem with appraisals, they're backward looking, you know, versus, uh, you know, the actual real market here, here today, but you know, we've had discussions within the bank and you know, what's your lending policy is at 65, 70, 75% of appraised value. Well, that dynamic changes a little bit in these, these land prices. Do you want to chase the highs up and, you know, and things like that. But fortunately, as you guys mentioned, most of the buyers right now are pretty cash solid. You know, they either got the cash, um, or they've got the free real estate to make this a doable deal and, you know, make it, make it work for the work for the producer. But you know, what we're finding is, is, uh, you know, we're virtually through with our loan renewals and, you know, I've been doing this for a long, long time. I, I really struggle to find a year where I've seen producers make more money than they made in 21 and they did it with an average crop, you know, and it's, um, you know, and part of that was you had, you had some reasonable input expenses, right. And there's still some trailing government payments and things like that, but there's a, there's a ton of cash out there and it's kind of burning a hole in some producer's pocket and there's probably limited equipment to buy, you know? So, um, and you know, sometimes you only get once in a generation shot at some of this land and, 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 and they're going to do it. And I honestly think a lot of the people that are buying this land, that, this land isn't going to hit the market again for a generation or two, whatever. So, um, but it, it is, a, you know, and we'll talk a little bit about later, but, you know, with interest rates rising and um, alternative investment uh, returns rising, it'll be interesting to see if this dynamic changes here a little bit. You know, Steve brought up uh, or referenced the, uh, the ability for people to go in and finance this, obviously. Uh, so let's, let's talk a little bit about that, Lynn, as long as we're on that, because again, um, we're going to talk about loan to value LTV, but for most of you out there, that would be basically your deposit. If you're buying farmland, where are you at now? What's the downstroke land, kind of the range that you would like to have down in an ideal world, world financing a piece of farmland at Bell Bank? You know, I, I would say when you're talking about downstroke, you're either talking about cash or additional collateral, you know, to, uh, to make her work. But 
we, you know, we'd probably be in that 40% mark right now. So maybe you're at 60% of, a, of, of purchase price. Um, but it, it is the other dynamic, obviously, that we take a look at is what's the return? What's the cash rent opportunities? And, and, you know, at the end of the day, if we could have a simple metric, it would be, you know, does a loan payment, does, does average cash rents for the area um, make that loan payment in real estate taxes? You know, and that's kind of a general metric. And it's, it's a little bit hard to do. Seems like rents trail uh, sales prices a little bit, whatever. But as you guys, I'm sure, are seeing in your farm management, there's just a phenomenal demand for land to rent um, at, some, at some pretty high prices. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I would totally agree with you. I think, you know, you referenced uh, appraisals, how they're a lagging indicator of value, obviously, and they are, especially in an up market like we have now, uh, certainly uh, more significantly than we probably have ever seen in our almost 25 years of doing business in the farmland market. And then also cash rents, they do lag probably by a year or two, depending on, you know, where you're at and pent up demand and all of that type of availability of, of farmland. But it is, it is interesting though. So again, just for our listeners sake, you know, when, when Lynn talks about that, so you buy land for 9,000, like he said, you know, you don't necessarily have to come up with the cash on the 40%. That'd be $3,600 an acre. It can be a combination of cash or other collateral or all collateral but whatever would meet that 40% downstroke, right, Lynn? So again, that's kind of what we're talking about because we get a lot of people calling us and say, hey, I'm I'm an investor, I want to buy farmland, or I am a farmer and I want to buy more farmland. Uh, You know, what are you seeing out there in the lending community? Uh, What is the common denominator? What are they requiring in in that 40% is is rather significant? And it is for for a lot of people. But like I say, there, there is a lot of, there's a lot of cash in the market. There's a lot of equity in the market particularly in an up market like this, because, you know, a rising tide rises all ships. So right now, you know, across the board in agriculture, whether it's equipment or farmland, uh, we're seeing an increase in value of, of assets across an entire balance sheet. It's not just farmland, it's everything. How often have you seen machinery and equipment appreciate rather than depreciate on a financial statement. That's really what you're seeing. You can actually make money on a vehicle almost <laughs> nowadays, which I almost embarrassed to even say it, but you actually can. I think, I think once in my lifetime and I'm 63, once in my lifetime, I ever made money on a vehicle because they basically depreciate it the minute you take them off the lot. But, but now obviously it's, it is an asset that actually uh, can appreciate over time right in, in the market that we're in today, which is, which is kind of interesting, but you know, talking about that sale, Steve, you had, it was an incredible sale, $9,300 an acre. Never did I dream that that would happen in that area. So really within that township or two or three townships, that certainly was an all-time high down in that area. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think we've had this kind of atmosphere. We rivaled a little bit in 2012 and 13 when we had com- high commodity prices, but there seems like there's more, there's more things happening. And, and, uh, you know, I laugh at the, at the, at the comment of the black swan event and, and we'll get back to back black swan events. And so at what time do we have another moniker for it? Because can, you know, it used to be black swan events happened every 20, 30, 40 years. Right. Um, and so this atmosphere is just dynamic and it is exciting. And, you know, when we talk with sellers and we're like, okay, when should we put this land on the market? Well, one of the things that you talk about a lot, Kevin, is you got to think like a buyer and a buyer wants to have those conversations with the lender and you want to lock in your interest rate now while the environment is really good. And so it's a, maybe better to put that land on the sale now so they can they can lock it in with the uh, with, with the lender and the commodity prices are high. And so if it's open to farm this year, get that on the market, get it sold to so the next producer and come in and make that money off the top. And so those are all reasons why, you know, normally we'd have a longer tail on some of our auctions, but we got some of these sales we're having a little bit shorter shorter tail on them. And, and, and it's for those reasons to get producers in there. You know, you, you referenced the good point, Steve, locking in those interest rates. And we have Lynn Paulson here from Bell Bank. So 
So, Lynn, if you are if you are financing farmland or you you are a borrower, you, Bell Bank's the lender, and if you're the the buyer, you're the borrower, and you want to go in and and borrow money, and you want to lock in a rate. So, how far out normally can you go before you close on that? Can you lock in a rate normally? I'm not sure I understand how long you can. Well, let's say before you close on the property, can you can you lock a rate out 60 days sure. or 90 days before you finance it? Yeah, typically 60 or 90 days, depending on 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 the situation. But the, you know, to Steve's comment, one of the things that I'm saying is how many once in a lifetime events can you experience in one lifetime? I mean, <laughs> these, these things are happening, yeah. you know, again and again, but I think it's important, you know, with, you know, obviously long-term fixed rates, whether it be 10, 15, 20, 25 years have, have gone up, you know, a fair amount. I mean, the rates that were, you know, weren't much above three are now in the fours, whatever, and it doesn't sound a lot, but on a percentage basis, you know, rates are up 30, 40%, you know, whatever, still historically low, no doubt. Um, but I think, you know, I think as we go into some of these more uncertain times, the preservation of cash is important. So to Steve's point, even if you have the cash, maybe to, you know, to, to buy the land or pick downstroke, it's maybe not a bad idea to, to park some of that, that, that in land at reasonable long-term fixed rates, whatever, to, yeah. to do that. And if things don't change, you got a lot of cash, you can always throw that down and improve. But I think, you know, cash is king. And, and you know, those people that are sitting on some dry powder, there's going to be some pretty good opportunities, you know, to pivot pretty quickly as opportunities come up and uh, cash is going to be the asset. Folks are listening to Lynn Paulson at Bell Bank out of Fargo, North Dakota, Bob Pfeiffer with Pfeiffer's Auction and Realty and Steve Link, uh, the broker at Pfeiffer's Auction Realty with us today. Folks, you're listening to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer. I want to thank all of the folks at Pfeiffer's for sponsoring our show every week and all of our podcasts on Apple and Spotify. You can listen to those by going to Pfeiffer's.com. You can listen to this show and any of our previous 59 shows if you would like to. Again, you can reach the folks at Pfeiffer's at 877-700-4099 or email them at info at Pfeiffer's.com and talk to their farm equipment and land auctioneers or their farm real estate agents or their farmland managers. Nobody does it better. Folks, you're listening to America's Land Auctioneer. We'll be right back after this break. Been the money going to do them 35, and I have sold it to you right there. Good bird, just great. Bye. Been on here now, fifty thousand dollar bid now, twenty five bid thirty. I'm in twenty five bid thirty and one thirty thousand dollars here now. They're gonna get now thirty thousand dollar bid and now five thousand. Welcome back to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Piper, America's Land Auctioneer. We've got three great ones in here today. Lynn Paulson with Bell Bank out of Fargo, North Dakota. Bob Piper with Piper's Auction and Realty and Piper's Land Management out of Grand Forks. And Steve Link, the broker for Piper's Auction Realty in North and South Dakota, Montana. At Minnesota. Appreciate everybody being with us here today. And just a reminder, you can listen to this show and any of our previous shows on our podcast at Apple or Spotify. Just go to pifers.com, click on the radio station banner, and you'll be able to click on any of the previous podcasts that we've had. We've been talking a little bit about the Ukraine war, uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. We've been talking about interest rates, farm land auctions that Pfeiffer's has recently had. Steve, we've also had a couple other ones up in the Minot area, up in Montreal and Ward County. Uh, though some of those sales actually broke records recently. Uh, you had one that was by the Minot Air Force Base just recently in Ward County. Again, that one there certainly hitting the all-time high up in that market too. And I can rest, I can keep, make sure everybody's uh, mind is at ease because the Russians did not buy that one by the Minot for Air Force Base. So we are, we are, we we are not selling to any foreign investors. Um, in fact, we haven't really sold to any foreign investors throughout throughout the state, and there, there's sometimes there's rumors about that, and 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 there's some some 
some talking points with some of the uh, companies that are investing in in our state too and and but on farmland it's been it's been mostly local investors and 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 producers that have been buying but yeah you talk about these high sales that we've had in the valley here at nine nine thousand and and such but you, you look at those western sales and those sales at four thousand forty two hundred forty three hundred per acre we had one just south of Minot that, that was 6,100 per acre. You know, it, relatively speaking, those are those are really outstanding prices. And, and you know, if it doesn't rain out there, it's going to be tough for them to produce a crop. And, and we're coming into a really dry spell. And so they have another dynamic there where, where historically it can be dry. And, and it's looking like it's going to be a dry year. And so I think they're relying on the, on the uh, insurance floor, you know, safety net that they can use on that. Cause otherwise I don't know how they would pencil that out. Um, if, if you don't get a crop and can't capitalize on these high, on these, on these good prices. So thank goodness we do have that safety net for, for, for people that, that they can count on and for lenders that can count on that too, because I don't know if lenders would give them money if they didn't, if they didn't have that safety net there. Lynn, are you, are you, are you getting questions on that? Yeah, that, that crop revenue coverage, you know, the spring prices that came out is, 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 is huge. You know, it's, you know, for some folks they are actually going to be able to come pretty close to guaranteeing a profit and that doesn't doesn't happen very very often but but it, it absolutely is the safety net especially as you go west and get into some of those dry areas whatever uh, you simply can't be doing some of those things with, without that protection there so um, it'll be interesting and who knows what we might see for a fall price you know quite frankly given some of the the dynamics that are going on in the marketplace but crop insurance is going to be very very friendly for you know the underlying support and safety net. You know, you guys bring up a good point. You know, you talk about all those sales out in the central part of North Dakota, especially when you start getting west of the Missouri River, uh, or if you're going north and west out of Bismarck, obviously the river goes north and west, but you're still on this side of the river, but you're really in central North Dakota up there. A lot of those sales that have been in the forty-five to $5,200 an acre range, uh, that almost equates to $10,000 an acre over here when you think about it, because back in 13, 14, and 15, a lot of those land values didn't exceed 4000 except for, you know, there were some aberrations in McLean County where some land sold for six or 7,000 at a, at a Pfeiffer's auction, whatever it might be. But to see land over there in that $5,000 an acre range is almost unheard of. And in, I'm almost certain today, if you had a really good cropland base in the, in Burley County today, you probably could get five to $6,000 an acre. Whereas a year ago, you're probably talking 3500 to $4,200 an acre. Yeah, and we have some sales that, that are coming up that will actually prove that point. I, I believe they're, they're, I, I expect really good bidding and, and prices on those on those central North Dakota land sale. I really found it interesting that after those Western sales we had um, a few weeks ago or even a month ago, I was getting calls from people that weren't the successful bidders at those sales. And they were really intrigued and were interested in buying land on the east side because they're, they're, they're like, let's face it. If, if I can't make a goal of it here farming on the western part of the state, maybe I want to put my investment on the eastern part of the state. Now, they weren't the successful bidders on the eastern part of the state, but they were really watching and analyzing. And it just goes to show that this 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 land market is, although local is important, it is really a statewide and, and a Midwest-wide uh, buyer base uh, on, the, on the land. Yeah, and, you know, and I think probably another thing we should uh, clarify today, too, is, you know, we talk about investors all the time. They you know, traditionally they buy about 25% of the land that's on the market. And again, it's just a general uh, range, 25%. Farmers and ranchers buy the other 75%. But, you know, to de- define the investor isn't somebody that walks out of the off the Wall Street office downtown New York. That's not, or in Manhattan. Uh, that's not who the investors are that we're talking about. They're people that maybe used to live in the county that you currently live in 
Uh, maybe they've moved to Minneapolis or to Philadelphia or to Miami or wherever they are, and they've made a career there doing something else outside of production agriculture, and they're the investor. They, they might be a nephew or a niece. They might be a cousin. They might be actually a brother or whoever. Uh, those are more of the traditional investors that we work with. Uh, many of them live in, in, in mostly Midwestern states, obviously, or a lot of them in Arizona, some in Florida. Uh, we have some clients that from Minneapolis that buy a lot of land from us, but they used to live back here in North Dakota. They grew up on farms here. So those are the investors that we're talking about. Uh, they have that connection back to North Dakota, Minnesota, South Dakota, Montana, wherever it might be. So when you look at that investor and, you know, Lynn, from that perspective, you know, you and I were talking about loan to value recently. So whether you're a farmer or rancher or an investor, basically all of those principles apply, don't they? And those, uh, those ratios apply to an investor just like they would a farmer. Oh, very much, very much so. And then, uh, you know, with the, ni- the nice thing, I suppose, with the investor is, um, you know, obviously they're not relying upon production agriculture for their livelihood. So maybe to a degree, they might have a little bit of advantage if they're a 1031 investor where they may have sold some property uh, and they're doing a like kind exchange. You know, obviously they got a little bit of a, uh, an up on the, on the farmer. Yeah, and no doubt in, in a lot of those cases, as you mentioned, they've got good off or good income already, so they're not relying on the income coming off of that land. And basically, every dollar that they get for rent, they can basically throw against you know the the land payment. And if they need to subsidize it to some extent, you know, it becomes a little bit of a forced savings account that over time builds up equity and it makes it a little bit easier to go into the next deal and the next deal. Yep, for certain. Steve, we only have a couple minutes left here in today's show. We're going to get into some more here in the next show. Uh, but uh, today's show, this is kind of it here. A couple of minutes. We've got some big auctions coming up here. Uh, 634 acres in, in Dawson uh, County, Montana. That's going to be a nice sale. Uh, we have an, uh, this really nice one coming up over in Griggs County near Cooperstown, 320 acres, uh, 200 acres of exceptional cropland over by Cooperstown and 100 acres of really good uh, whitetail deer hunting over there in that one. Uh, and I was over in that one recently. Um, in fact, when I got back, I had to wash my truck two times to get all the mud out of there. Uh, but that is going to be a dandy sale. That's the Berge family over there by Cooperstown. Going to be an exceptional auction. Really good co- uh, cropland. We haven't had a lot of sales in Griggs County lately either, so this should be a pretty good sale. No, and th- so that rumor that you were going to postpone that and let me hunt it this fall, is that that's not true, Kevin? Uh, you know, the hunting rats, rights always go to the auction. Uh, that's true. So, <laughs> so we, we, we still got a shot at that. Yeah, no, there's a, there's a wide range of land. We got everything from, like you said, Montana all the way back here on the east side. We got another sale that we're going to have down in the Colfax uh, area, and I anticipate really good, uh, really good participation in that as well, too. Um, but yeah, I'm excited about that Griggs County one. I've always been, uh, I've always appreciated land that's got that dual dynamic to it where, where it's good farmland and, and you can have a little bit of recreational value on it too, because that's just, it's fun. You can't work all the time. You gotta, gotta have a little bit of fun. Folks, you're listening to America's Land Auction here. Steve Link, the broker with Pfeiffer's Auction Realty is with us today. Lynn Paulson, uh, Senior Vice President of Agriculture Development at Bell Bank out of Fargo has been with us. Certainly appreciate Lynn carving out time to be with us here today. And then Bob Pfeiffer, who runs Pfeiffer's Auction Realty's office in uh, northern Minnesota, northern North Dakota, out of Grand Forks. And he also runs the operations for Pfeiffer's in Wisconsin and in Arizona. So if you want to buy a home in Arizona, call Bob Pfeiffer or go to Pfeiffer's.com and he'll be able to help you out. Folks, you're listening to America's Land Auctioneer. Our show is sponsored by our friends at Pfeiffer's Auction Realty and Pfeiffer's Land Management. You can email them at info at Pfeiffer's.com or call them 877-700-4099. You can get some free consultation from them if you want to get a hold of their land auctioneers, their equipment auctioneers, or their farmland managers or farm real estate agents. 
Folks, nobody does it better than the folks at Pfeiffer's Auction and Realty and Pfeiffer's Land Management. Folks, you're listening to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer. We'll look forward to being with you next week.